Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. So at this time, I'm going to be reading from Genesis 3. If you are able and willing, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. So as you know, um, Billy and Hannah are on vacation this month, and so we've invited some guest pastors to join us and lead us through scripture. Um, today we have Kevin Franklin, uh, who is a pastor and planter of Beloved Church in Claremont, Florida. He drove up from Florida to be with us today. Um, so we're super excited to have him here. He is a, a part of the same Acts 29 cohort that Billy Glossin, our pastor, is a part of, and We're just happy to have you, Kevin. Um, At this time, I'm going to welcome him up, please, and I'll pray for for you and your time here. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you for a space to do so, a space to have our kiddos be able to hear hear from you as well in a language and story that they can understand. Father, I pray... I pray for Kevin this morning. Um, we know that he has spent time and hours preparing um, to, to share with us what you have for us this morning. God, I pray that our, our hearts and our ears and eyes are open to your word from your voice. Um, God, we just thank you for that opportunity. And Father, I, I thank you for, for new life that we're celebrating after service this morning, um, for baptism and what that means, that you have chosen us and adopted us into your family and that we get to celebrate that together. God, just um, continue to pour out your blessings on this day and help us to be a blessing to others. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Dale. Oh, that was such a, man, if you're in Florida, you don't get that enthusiastic of a response at this time. Uh, This is going to be good. Thank you. (laughs) I am really highly honored to be here, to be invited to to share God's word with you this morning, Um, but also just highly honored to be friends with Billy. Um, You know this because you get to live daily with him, uh, but he is such an encouragement. Um, The the heart of the pastor, um, we we often think of kind of the the quasi-celebrity or full-blown celebrity pastors, like that's what we're striving for. And yet we know the heart of God is to see our heart. Um, 
and your pastor's heart is such an encouragement to me. So thank you for this opportunity, and I pray that today blesses you um, as you bless all of us all the time. So thank you. It's also the only friend I've ever had who has written me a letter, and in that letter indicated what pen and what ink he used <laughs> to write that letter. Right, that's, that's, uh, that's a whole new level, uh, but I like it. I like it. Um, but some of us do weird things, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, but speaking of weird things, uh, I grew up in a, a fairly rural town, um, and so we, we would often run out of ideas and have to come up with new ideas for what to do to keep ourselves entertained. And so um, if there are kids in the room, you're just going to need to shut your ears or like... Uh, I, just, I don't want to give any ideas away today um, because I'm not responsible for what might happen. Um, but here's the thing. As a teenager, we got into some trouble. Um, and I can smile about that now because grace, but <laughs> um, we, we got into some trouble. But uh, one of the things that we used to do is in the wee hours of the morning um, when we should be sleeping, uh, on weekends, we would just try to find random things to do. And I love to laugh. Um, just humor is a really big value to my family. And um, so me and some friends one night, uh, we, we came up with this idea that if you take duct tape and you just take a strip of duct tape, you tear that duct tape off, and now you take said duct tape and you place it sticky side up on the white line at an intersection where cars are going to slowly stop and drive over that, you know what they're going to do? the tire is going to stick to that tape and pick it up. And if you've placed it strategically enough, part of that duct tape is now just flapping as it goes around. And it sounds exactly like a flat tire. I kid you not. And so, <laughs> so now, one e we've done this many, many times. And one evening, um, it's, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. We should not be outside. But we're out there, and we're, and we're looking like, there's just no traffic, um, there, nobody's around. So we go to the most busy intersection in town, like there's gotta be people here. And so we're there, we're parked on the side, lights off and everything, and we'll jump out, go place the strip of duct tape on the road, car comes by, picks it up, pop, 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 pop. And I'm like, ah, oh, we're laughing and everything, this is so hilarious, people get out, they're confused, tape on the road, why, and all this stuff. But then they're relieved, like, at least I don't have a flat tire. Um, so we're doing this, and all of a sudden, there's a car behind us. Car pulls in right behind us. And then you know what happens. The lights go off. And they're not just white lights, they're blue lights. <laughs> like, this isn't good. So, so he, like, I don't know if he thought we were going to run, but he kind of pulls forward, and then we pull into a parking lot. Police officer follows us in there, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm in the back seat, because I just got back in the car after placing some tape on the ground. I've got the duct tape in hand. I'm in the back seat, friends in the front seat, there's other friends in the car, and police officer comes up, he rolls down the windows, police officer's looking around at all of us, and we're just kind of sitting there, and the police officer starts like, do you have any drugs or weapons? We're like, oh, this is escalating so fast. And my friend is like, I play baseball, I've got bats in the car. I'm like, no, don't, 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 no. He's like, no, we don't have weapons. Um, but the police officer, he's like, so what are we doing at two o'clock in the morning, boys? And... Um, and he's, he's like, he's pretty quick-witted. He's like, I'm not allowed to talk on the phone and drive, so I needed to pull over and tell my mom I'm almost home. And he's like, really? Well, why do I have reports calling in saying that there are kids running out and putting something on the road? And they're like, oh, this is it. <laughs> I'm going to jail. <laughs> this is finally happening. And so from the back, saying like, we're putting duct tape on the road. It's like, duct tape on the road. And I'm holding the duct tape, so I reach up, and he takes the duct tape from me. He's like, why would you be putting duct tape on the road? 
as he's now holding the duct tape. And I can still mentally picture him smacking that duct tape. Why would we be putting duct tape on the road? And as he says it, you know what happens. A car pulls over the last piece of duct tape and is right behind him. (laughs) They come to a stop and he's just looking over his shoulder as this old man gets out and he's saying all kinds of colorful words. And he turns back and he looks at me and he says, I see. (laughs) I was like, it's really happening. I'm going to jail for the rest of my life for putting duct tape on the road. Um, I was so guilty in that moment. Um, But you you know, the the feeling of guilt is awful. Like the shame that comes with feeling and knowing that you are actually guilty is overwhelming. But it's like this overwhelming thing that we think that we can suppress and keep it as this underwhelming, just constant nuisance that if I just push a little harder and hide a little more, then I'll manage it. We can manage the feeling of guilt and shame in our life if I just box it in. Um, But what's worse than knowing and feeling guilty is someone else knowing that you're guilty. When someone else sees that, then the knife sinks a little deeper into our heart. That now for someone else to see my guilt, for someone else to know my shame, that's so bad. I don't want that. So we try to hide from that. And this goes all the way back into the garden. When God created everything, and so we know the story that God created everything, and he called it what, church? Good. That evil only exists as a perversion of what is good. That God created everything, and it was good. He created everything, and yet in that creation, there's some unique moments. Like when he creates man. He says he creates man in his own image, but for the first time in his creation, he does not say that it's good. Why? Because man was alone. It was not good for man to be alone. And so he makes one man. And now, together, in the image of God, it's good. We were created good, good together. To be together, it was good for us to be together. And so we come to today's text. If you want to read it again with me, Genesis chapter 3, starting at the first verse. Um, I apologize if my translation is slightly different. I forgot um, to make that crossover, but um, they'll be very similar. Genesis chapter 3, starting in the first verse, says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So I hid. And this is our tendency too, right? It's to hide. In our guilt and in our shame, our tendency is to hide that. To be like Adam and Eve. 
to go hide, to sew together this fig leaf bikini, to think in some way I can hide this shame. I can hide my nakedness. And then when I hear the Lord God coming, then I can run and I can hide in the trees, that I can somehow escape his gaze. And not just the Lord's gaze, but the gaze of others as well, that I can hide this in some way. But here's the thing about hiding, you know, hide and seek, sometimes it's just not fair. It's just not a fair game sometimes. And my father was a, a battalion chief of a fire department, and so um, as a firefighter, he had this weird schedule to where he'd work for 24 hours, and then he'd be off for 48 hours. And so it's just this constant revolving door of like, dad's at work for the day, and then he's off for two days. Um, but to make ends meet, um, he would take these other jobs during his 48 hours off. And so he got into some construction, um, started working, doing different jobs, and he would learn, like watching other crews, like, oh, I could do that job too. And so he started doing that job. And before long, he realized he could do every part of the construction of a home. And so he would build homes. Um, and then as he got a little older in life, he realized like, I'm building these homes based off of these plans that some guy drew in air conditioning. <laughs> I could also draw that, so why don't I go work in the air conditioning? So then he learned to draw blueprints, became an architect and all this stuff. And so that's my dad as a child. I love to play hide and seek. And I was just like all the time, dad, come find me. You got to come find me. I'm going to hide. There's no way you're going to find me today. Like I have the best hiding spot ever. And so we'd play hide and seek all over the house growing up. And one day, I'll never forget, my dad told me, as I'm super excited for the millionth time, like, I'm going to go hide. You're never going to find me this time. It's going to be so good. You're never going to find me, Dad. And he looked at me and said, son, I drew the plans for this house, and I built it. I will find you. <laughs> but, well, this is not a fair game. <laughs> like, there is no hiding from Dad. And how much more so with the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things? But with the Lord God, who created us. He knows us. He created all of this. You cannot hide from him. This is the way that the author of Hebrews says it. He says, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Does that rightly evoke some terror in you? To think, I will stand before the creator of all things. God, omnipotent, having all power, that even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar would stay at one point humbled. Like, there is no one who can stay your hand. All power is his. Omniscient. He knows everything. Everything past, present, and future, it's all in his mind. There is nothing hidden from him. And there's nowhere you could go to escape him. So he's also omnipresent. That where do I go to escape? Nowhere. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I descend to Sheol, you're there. There's nowhere that we could go to get away from him. And one day, you'll stand before him and give an account. What did you do with the life that was given to you by the creator? As his creation, we will stand before the one to whom nothing is hidden. And what do we do with that? Thomas Cranmer famously opened his Holy Communion liturgy. Uh, with a prayer. And this is the start of the prayer. It says, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open and all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. You would come to a moment where, as the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, you better examine your heart. Because to take this in an unworthy manner, hey, that's actually the reason some of you have died. And Thomas Cranmer, 
and leading into that moment that should be a very somber and reflective moment of considering who are we in light of the God who knows us. He says, now, almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, that God sees us and he knows us through and through. There's nothing hidden from him. He knows every bit of you. Every bit of you. And here's the thing. That is absolutely horrifying. Or it was wondrously freeing. It is either terrifying or beautiful. Just absolutely glorious. How can that be? As we continue in Genesis 3, if you were to read the rest of the chapter and see what's happening, um, God shows up. You know, they could not hide from him. And so as he sees Adam and Eve, he knows they're in this fallen state. And I have to wonder, like, what would that moment be like? As their eyes are open, they realize we're naked and we feel shame. But they knew that God had said, there are consequences of this. And we know the consequences that you're going to die. There's going to be this death, this separation. Ultimately taken out, taken away from the tree of life to where... They're going to face literal physical death, but also the spiritual death, the separation from life himself, who is God. And so I just have to wonder, like, it's easy for us to read this as this little kid's kind of folk story, fantasy, like, oh, these are the origin stories of like, like, oh, I believe it. I truly believe it. But we still think of it kind of in the same way as like this mythical like folklore. But imagine real embodied humans. What was that moment like when created once to live with God forever? And there is no pain. There's no sorrow, no suffering. There's just delightful bliss with God himself. And then in that moment, to feel that change in your body, in your mind, in your soul, to feel the cataclysmic shift that I've been torn from God. And now, for the first time, I feel the approach of death. So you know that as God now comes, and, and this is famously called the, the pronouncement of the curse of sin and all these things, the consequences of sin, but you have to know, like, they already knew this. Like, you imagine he stubbed his toe on a bramble. It's like, where did that come from? They're feeling the effects of their decision already. Even if it's just in their own makeup, they're like, why do I feel sore? Like, mid-30s never hurt so bad. What is this? They're feeling this. And so why does God, is he God coming in to just like rub their face in it? Like training your dog? Like why does God come in and pronounce these things? Like there's gonna be hardship now. By the sweat of your brow, you're gonna labor and toil and the ground is gonna fight back. Your work is gonna feel so futile and meaningless that it's gonna drive you to obsessions with things like sports and illicit content because you can get the rise out of it without the effort because we find our effort to be so meaningless and futile. And woman, childbearing is going to hurt. It's going to hurt. All, like all these things he's telling them, it's like, man, this is so depressing. Like first recorded conversation with God, it's really dark and depressing, except that it's not. Why would he pronounce the consequences of this except that he wanted us to see the hope that's actually embedded within it. And so if you look, um, this is what it says in 3.15. This is when God is actually addressing the serpent. Um, I have not yet seen any snakes in North Carolina. I'm loving it. Um, but the serpent, who we know to be the devil, 
Um, this is what he says in 315. He's talking to the devil. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. There's going to be this collision, this fight. And this is, this is called the Proto-Evangelium. This is, this is the first preaching of the gospel that now for the rest of scripture, you should actually read from Genesis 3.15 on looking for this one who is the offspring of the woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And yet it's going to hurt him in this way, but it's not comparable. A bruised heel and a crushed head are not the same thing. If you get into a fight with me and I walk away with a bruised heel and you have a crushed head, do you know who won? <laughs> me. And that's, you can laugh about that because that's, <laughs> that's about the only funny thing there. God is saying someone will come. Salvation will come. It will not stay like this. And so there's hope, there's this gospel infusion, this declared hope of the gospel is given to us to now we look for that Messiah. We look for that savior. We look for the one who would rescue us. And it's going to be someone born of woman. And we know his name. His name is Jesus. Born of the virgin Mary. Sinless. The perfect sacrifice that he would in this way have his heel bruised. But he's going to crush the serpent's head. He dies on a cross. There's real horrific death and pain that he suffered, that he endured for us. And yet he rose again victorious over death and he even looked towards that death with joy set before him. That he endured that with joy, knowing what was to come afterward. Because he is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. But then you continue on after God has declared the hope of the gospel and look what it says in 3.21. You know, their fig leaf bikinis the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. The God now displays what the gospel would be. How would this happen? That your nakedness, that what you are hiding would be actually covered? Your shame would actually be covered? Well, you used fig leaves. It's not working out. It's not working out, guys. How will you be covered? Shed blood for the skins to be crafted into garments to cover them, blood must be spilt. Someone must die. And so this starts this pattern that we see throughout the scriptures leading up to the ultimate shedding of blood, the blood of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. That Jesus would be the once final for all sacrifice. His blood would be shed to be our covering, to be our atonement, which means covering, or in English we can say at one mint that we are brought back together with God through the covering of his blood, that Jesus' blood would cover our shame, our nakedness. That would be our covering. So we don't have to hide. That we are now with him. So it's no longer fig tree leaves. And yet we still run back to that all the time, don't we? Thinking that in some way I can hide my nakedness in this way. I can hide the things that bring me shame, my guilt, I can hide it in these ways. And we run around creating all these fig leaf bikinis. The guy from Florida talking about bikinis, of course. You know, there's, there's this weird story that bothered me for so long. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's apparently hungry at this point. And you remember, he walks over, there's a fig tree. He walks over to it, and he's looking for fruit. He wants some figs. He's hungry. And what happens? There's no figs on the tree. And Jesus gets uncharacteristically mad. Like, 
what is that? He curses the tree. And the disciples look, it's withered. Like the tree has died. Like that just doesn't sound like soft, gentle Jesus that we know, right? That he'd see a tree and like, what did the tree do to not have fruit? Either someone took all the fruit or more likely it's just not in season. Like, come on, Jesus, what gives? Why would you curse this tree in this way? Kill the tree. No fruit for me, you die. Like, whoa, what do we do with that, right? And take it to the very quick and easy, like, well, God wants you to produce fruit in your life. And if you're not producing fruit, fruit, John 15, we're the branches. He's the vine. Stay attached. We can do nothing apart from him. If we want to produce fruit, we must stay attached to the vine. So do we take that and say, like, well, because I'm not producing enough good works, God might curse me. I might wither up and die. <laughs> or is it possible that we think back to a fig tree and some fig leaves and the garden, which is the first attempt at self-righteousness, that I can hide my own guilt. I'll provide my own covering. And what an offense against the God who says, I will come, I will die in your place. The death that you deserve, I'll take it on myself. In your place, I'll stand condemned. And he'll die, but then he'll rise again victorious over death, saying, believe, believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. Confess him to be Lord. He is our covering. He is our salvation. This is the God who says, you don't have to hide anymore. I've done it for you. And so with these fig leaves, oh, what an offense. To think that we could ever be good enough? That we could ever hide our guilt? No, we cannot. But there's a God who is so gracious, so loving, that he says, in grace, undeserved favor, I have come for you. And I can make things right. I can bring us back together. And now you just believe that. And you respond in repentance, turning from your sin, and thereby turning to God, your salvation confessing him to be Lord, believing that he died and he rose again, and this is our covering. This is why we don't have to hide anymore. Because there's a God who has come to us, the God who sees us through and through, and he knows us. And Paul says it like this in his letter to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 3.3, 3, he says, for you died. He's talking to people who were alive. But he says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God that we have died with Christ in his death. And in his resurrection, we too have been raised to new life with him. How? How can this be that we are back together with life himself with God? Because we have been hidden. We've been hidden in Christ. His blood, our covering. He dresses us in righteousness, his own righteousness that he has given to us because he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is our hope. This is why we don't have to hide. And so it really comes down to this. Hidden in Christ means you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. But we can confess. And we can confess starting with a moment to just really be honest with yourself. With yourself first. Be honest with yourself. In what ways and where are you hiding? What are you trying to keep secret? And you try to manage it and manage it and manage it. Keep it hidden. Keep it hidden. And you know that no matter how much you try, you know, one, God sees it. And you know, two, Jesus taught us what's said in darkness will be brought to light. What's whispered is going to be shouted on rooftops. 
as believers, we look at a God who says, I know every bit of you, and I still love you. And we say, what wonderful freedom. Let's go broadcast all of this. Because the best place for me to live is in the light. And not to hide these things, because there's freedom in being in the light. There's healing that comes in the light. The Apostle John, later in his life, wrote these epistles in 1 John 1, 7 and 9. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you see this vertical confession to God is freeing. And God says, I know, and I love you. And I will hide you in myself. And that vertical freedom, because of the vertical love of God for us, then overflows in this horizontal freedom that we now have to say, hey, because I am so loved by God, despite being fully known by God, I can actually let you know me. And I can love you. That we can stand and be so terrified of each other we put on these masks, these fig leaf bikinis, and we parade around thinking like, everything's great. This is all good, right? And all the while, you're not actually known. You're not actually loved. Just the image of what you want to be is loved and known. But if we take that stuff off and say, it's safe to do so, because regardless of how you respond to me, I know that I'm fully loved, fully known by God. And so I can take this risk and thereby encounter real freedom and real love with you to walk in fellowship with each other. Why? Because of fellowship with God. That I don't have to be afraid of things falling apart horizontally because I know nothing will fall apart vertically. That he loves me. I never earned my way into this good relationship with him. So how could it be taken away from me? He is altogether good and faithful. We have this assurance of forgiveness in the gospel, this assurance of the love of God demonstrated in the fact that he sent his only son that we might have eternal life through him. This assurance helps us to relate rightly to each other. As John Stott once wrote, he said, the Christian community is a community of the cross, for it has been brought into being by the cross, and the focus of its worship is the lamb once slain, now glorified. And this is what brings us together, church, not that we have all these similar interests or that we're really, really good at these certain things or anything like that. It's no, it's just the cross of Christ, this good news that there's a God who loves us. He literally loved us to death. And we can be with him. And it draws us together. And love for each other, but ultimately love for the lamb once slain, not glorified. And so, will you see him now? I'd ask, would you see this Lord? the God who sees you. Ask him to give you eyes to see him. Coram Deo. Before the face of God. To know that he sees you and now to see him as glorious as he is, to treasure him above all else because there is no one like him. He is majestic. He is glorious. He's sovereign and transcendent over all and yet he is eminent. He loves you personally and he calls us by name and invites us into real freedom that you don't have to hide. So cherish him and respond to him. No more hiding. It's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. Paul says in Galatians 5, 1, for freedom...
Christ set you free. Do you know that? So seeker, like maybe you don't know, but you want to know what is true. Skeptic, like how can you believe any of this? This is so wild to think that there's such a thing as cosmic guilt and a God who would step into his own creation, into our mess, to redeem it. And maybe you're a believer and you're just stumbling a lot and you keep stumbling over the same thing. How could God still love me? If he knows me, how could he possibly still love me? And maybe you're just doubting. Is this actually true? Like I confess it, but I do, do I really believe it in my heart? I'm going to ask you in a decisive moment, will you believe this good news? Will you believe it? And stop hiding. Because for freedom, Christ set us free. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you love us in this way. That you sent your son Jesus to die for us. To be our covering. To be our atonement. Jesus, that you would shed your blood. That is it's so scary. That's so beautiful. We thank you. You have made yourself known as glorious as you are. Uh, There's no other way that we could know you in this way. You are that merciful. You're that gracious. You're that glorious. And so we praise you. We thank you. And Spirit, we ask that you would impress into our hearts that we really can walk in light. We are free in you. You have begun a good work in us and you've promised to carry it out to that day. So we thank you. God, I pray that you would bless this church. Thank you for it. And we love you. And we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.